The Lord just keeps saying to me, declare my goodness and declare, the, declare my goodness. So I just feel he's saying that if anyone has a story they want to share, something God's done, come declare his goodness. So step up. It encourages each other. Um, <clears throat> so it was a few weeks ago now, but um, we, we were just, I was just having the worst day. Um, and that afternoon, Ruby, locked, Andy was still at work. Ruby locked herself in her bedroom. And there was no way for me to open it from the outside. And she was screaming, so distressed. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I called Andy. Andy was in Sorrento. And she was getting distressed. I was getting everything. I had knives, trying to open the door with a knife. I had a credit card. Like, I had all these things. And I was getting so stressed out. And Ruby was getting really stressed. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? And this went on for, like, half an hour. And I was like, seriously, I was ready to knock down the door. But for that whole half an hour, I didn't ask, like, God for help at all. And then I was just like, oh, Flea, you've got to ask for help. And I just said, God, I need you to help me. Like, I need you to do something. And then I had my hand on the door and literally two seconds later, I felt this huge force from the other side and it just, like, pulled me and the door opened. And there was, and there was Ruby standing metres away and she was like... <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh, what just happened? But I picked up Ruby and then about 10 minutes later, after I like comforted Ruby, I went back and I was like, I'm going to have a look at this door. And I looked and it was still locked from both sides. So, and I felt like it was like an angel literally just came and opened the door. And yeah, it was still locked. And I left it for when Andy got home. And Andy came home and I was like, you've got to check out the door, man. And, <laughs> and being a builder, so he's all into this stuff. He looked at it and he's like, tried everything, man. He's like must be an angel like it's locked on both sides there's no way that that door could have opened we had this huge force and literally it was two seconds after and that whole half an hour I didn't even ask for help and all I said it wasn't like a a great grand prayer like prayer or anything like that it was literally like god like I need you to do something help me and then boom so yeah (laughs) all right kids do you want to come and sit over here Here's Mr. Potato Head. My eyes, I lost my eyes. This is Mr. Potato Head. Now, Mr. Potato Head really has quite a good life, except something was missing. Eyes. He's got an eye. <laughs> He's just got a hole in his head. Mr. Potato Head, he lived. He lived in Bethsaida. And, and he really just had a pretty good life. He had some good friends, looked after him. But, but he had no eyes. He always wanted to be a cowboy. But he couldn't ride a horse and he couldn't really, you know, shoot a gun and do a, lip, do a lasso because... Yeah. That's it. He kept running. He'd ride a horse, kept running into things. And, and the horse, you know, it was blind too, so it didn't help. <laughs> It really was the blind leading the blind. <laughs> anyway, one day he was walking down the street with his friends and they were taking care of him. And, um, and he heard about this guy called Jesus. Have you heard of Jesus? Yes. You know who Jesus is? Cool. Anyway, sitting down, guys, sitting down. Isaac, why are you sitting up there? Down there. Anyway. He'd heard that Jesus did amazing things like healing. Like he had a friend who walked around, he had no legs like this, you know. My legs, my legs, I got my legs. He had another friend who was armless. 
<laughs> and, and they'd got their arms back and they'd got their legs back. And he thought, gee, I wonder if Jesus can hear my eyes. And so he called out and Jesus came to him and he says, what do you want me to do? And he said, I'd like to see. I'd like to have some eyes. So you know what Jesus did? You know what Jesus did to him? He looked at him and he went... <laughs> And he spat on his face. <laughs> How would you like if someone spat on your face? Yeah. That'd be a bit gross, wouldn't it? But that's what Jesus did. He spat on Potato Head's face. <laughs> but you know what happened when he did? This amazing thing was Potato Head got some eyes. Oh, no! So Jesus fed on him again. <laughs> and they turned the right way up. He grew a nose as well. Look at that. <laughs> That's probably why his nose was all red, you know, because he got spat on. And he grew some eyes, and so that meant he could see lots of things. So he could see the sun, and he could see the flowers, and the trees, and the butterflies. Isn't that really cool? And that meant that when he got on his horse... He could see where he was going. So he wondered if he should go and spit on the ice horse, maybe. <laughs> no, horse is still blind. <laughs> but he could ride his horse. Riding along, singing a cowboy song. That's Spider-Man. <laughs> so isn't that really cool? That if you have any need, it doesn't matter what it is, if you couldn't see, Jesus could heal you, yeah? If you'd lost your leg, Jesus could heal you, yeah? No, he didn't spit on the legs. He just spat on his eyes. Isn't that gross? Yeah, there's another guy, he spat on him. He spat on the mud and made mud and stuck it on his face. Make a mud pie and went, boom, right on his face. Pretty gross, hey? Anyway. So I thought that since he could see such wonderful things like the flowers and the trees, that maybe you guys could all go and make your own picture of the flowers and the trees. Do you want to do that? Yeah, so Amy's going to take you out. Isn't that the amazing thing about Jesus, that, you know, he didn't do the conventional way? We would go, oh, no, you don't heal by spitting on somebody's face. Imagine they became for healing, you know, I really want to be healed or something, and they went, cool, let me spit on you. How would you feel? Yeah? Or, no, let's go outside, let's make a bub pie, and we're going to smear it all over your face. Yeah? Really lovely, hey? But that's how God works. I mean, I was reading this week about Naaman. You know, Naaman came to Elijah and um, he had leprosy. And he says to, to Elijah, you know, and Elijah didn't even come out and see him. He sent his servant out. And this guy is the commander of the army of Syria. So he's like, I'm the big dude. You know, I'm, I'm the guy with all the power. It's like, you know, the general of, from the USA, you know, coming out and going, I am the powerful, I'm the, I'm the guy that runs it all. And he didn't come and see him, he sent his servant out. And he said, oh, go and dip in the muddy river of the Jordan. And, yeah, he was incensed. But he had a wise servant who said, you know, if he'd asked you something difficult, you would have done it. But he asked you something really simple. But that's humbling. And that's how God works. We often look, you know, I was thinking we often look for, for what's difficult, you know. 
God wants me to go to outer Mongolia. And people go, I don't want to ask God what he wants for my life because I might have to go to outer Mongolia. You know? We have this thing that, that God is out there and has this really difficult path ahead of us. But actually, his path is often humility. His path is often just denying yourself and allowing him to be God. I actually want us to do um, a little bit of governing today. I don't expect us to go for a long time. I just, um, for anywhere, Dale is, by the way, she's in Kalgoorlie at a conference. So for those who didn't know, um, she's up with Jen von Blankensee up there. So she'll be back tomorrow morning. But um, I want us to do a little bit of governing. Um, and I think it's important to understand that when we govern, we govern from a point of humility. All right? Uh, there's two verses I want to share with you. First one's from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. And it's talking about not suing your brothers, all right? So not taking another Christian to court and suing them and using an earthly court to settle what really should be settled in the heavenlies between you. Okay, And he actually says that in verse 2. He says, you know that the saints will judge the world. So who are the saints? We are. We're the saints of God. You don't have to die to be a saint. You're a saint now. Isn't that cool? Yeah? yeah? Get excited about that later. <laughs> it says, the world will be judged by you. You are unworthy to judge this. Are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? In other words, it doesn't matter what's going on. You have the power to judge it. You have the authority to judge the world. Because you've got to remember that God doesn't work in time and space. That he created time and space. I had an interesting thought this week. Um, actually, I think it was from Smith Wigglesworth, something I was reading about him. But, but he said, if you see your life as a canvas, that's how God looks at your life. See, we see ourselves in, in terms of time and space, don't we? You know, that we're here and now, oh, I've sinned, and we see in context of that sin or we see in context of our failings. But God actually looks at your whole life as one canvas, as one picture. And if you put that into relative terms, sin really has no part of that because it's already paid because on your picture is Jesus. On your picture, the canvas of your whole life is the cross. And it's a bit like, you know, if you ever see an artist do a painting and they paint away and they paint away and if they make a mistake, they don't just throw the canvas out, they paint over the top. They let it dry and then they just paint over the top until you can't see what's underneath. And they transform it. Have you ever seen ones where they transform one picture into another picture? You know, I was watching Dale once doing that and she was, she was doing, um, I think it was hot air balloons and sort of like thing and then hot air balloons became... You know, this, this garden scene, totally different. It was like, whoa, how did that happen? You know, I'm still seeing hot air balloons and all of a sudden there's gardens everywhere and you can't actually see the balloons anymore. And that's how it is with your sin, that, that God has your life as a canvas. He doesn't look at individual parts like we often do. He sees your whole life as one canvas. And so where there's failings, he sees those as it's transformed into a picture of Jesus. It's transformed into the cross. And that's how he sees you. He sees you as right before him. But a part of that is he's also called us to judge. And I actually want us to do a little bit of judgment in the courts. Because we are called the ecclesia. 
That's what the word church is drawn from, the word ecclesia in the Bible. And that word ecclesia means the called out ones to govern. So we're actually called to govern in the courts of heaven. And wherever you read through the Bible, it says about stepping into, going up to the mountain of the Lord. If you change that word mountain into government, it actually gives the Bible a whole new context because that's what that word means, about going up into the government of the Lord, going up into the government that we're seated. That's why we're seated with him in heavenly places to govern. Yeah? And we are called to bring judgment and to bring government on the world. That's our job. That's why we're the ecclesia, the called out ones, to govern. And we're focused on being called out that we're separate from the world. Yes, you are called out and separate, but there's also a bit on the end that says to govern. We are supposed to rule and reign with Christ. Yeah? So actually you want us to do a little bit of governing together. And the other verse he gave me, this is really cool, because Dale left me a note in her Bible, in my Bible before she left. And she does that. She you know, finds a book or something and usually ends up in my Bible because I end up reading that. So, you know, she can guarantee I'll usually find it. But I don't know if she stuck it here on purpose. I forgot to ask her. Or if she just opened it up and threw it in there. Or my Bible just falls open to this page. I don't know. But it's on Habakkuk chapter 2. And it says, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. And I want us to do two things with that. First off, I want to ask you, do you have a vision for your life? A lot of people say to me, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what God has for me. I don't know what it is. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. But he says that the vision is yet for an appointed time. It speaks, it doesn't lie. And it says, though it tarries, wait for it. And I find people are unwilling to wait for God to speak, to bring revelation for what he has for you. I want to encourage you to take that time to let him speak. To give a vision for you. Don't rush off because when you've got it, then you can run. Our problem is we try and run without the vision. We end up running in circles. We end up running around like mad chooks trying to do this and that and the other thing and you know, doing all that we should be doing. You know, one of the things about training people in leadership and management is there's so much stuff out there that they say everybody should do. You know, there are things that you should do before 8 o'clock in the morning. There are things you should do before you go to bed at night. There's things, the first thing you should do when you get into work, the last thing you should do when you leave work. And one guy sat down and worked out, and he says, I sat down with the books I had on my shelf and worked out how long it would take to do everything on my shelf. And he says, without sleeping, 25 hours a day, was what it would take to physically do everything that I'm told I should do and that every CEO does and every whatever, you know, Fortune 500 company CEO does and this, that, and the other. Because it's all about do, 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 do. It's not about knowing who you are and knowing what you're called to do. You see, you need to have your vision and purpose from God and you need to wait on him to get it. You need to step into the courts of heaven and ask him to bring revelation. Because the world will tell you 
that you're supposed to. I mean, I can't go a day without there being five emails in my inbox telling me things I should be doing. And you can feel guilty about it because they put the guilt on. This is what successful people do. This is what so-and-so does. And, you know, especially if it's an area where you have a passion, an area you want to be in, oh, gee, I should be doing that. No, you should be doing whatever God tells you to do. You know, I've got to respect the, the early apostles. It says in Acts that um, they did two things. They gave themselves to the word and to prayer. They started their whole, the church started with them giving themselves to the word and to prayer. And out of that came vision, out of that came revelation, out of that came all that they were supposed to do. And I'm finding more and more that the more I give myself to the word and prayer, actually the less God has for me to do. Well, actually, let me put that rightly. The less I think I have to do. And God will often say, just sit, read, hang out in my presence. Because God actually wants to hang out with you. And you know what? If we all did the thing that we're supposed to do, we'd function as a body. And we'd be complementing each other. You know, I read a couple of weeks ago they had a big feature on childcare. And look, it doesn't matter whether you're for or against childcare, but I thought it was really interesting. They were saying that they're you know, something like $200 a day for some families in childcare. And that there are people who go to work just so they can pay their childcare. And I'm going, stay home. <laughs> All right? Now, I don't know their situation, I don't know their circumstances, and every person's different, you know? Some people need the childcare, some people don't. It really depends on your situation. But, but I'm sitting there thinking, if you're paying that much for childcare and you're going to work to make $200 a day just so you can pay your childcare, then there's something wrong with the system. There's something wrong with what's going on in your life. But see, we get caught up in what the world says. And we do things the way we think we should do them. Whereas all God wants to do is hang out with us and out of that bring revelation that we can then do what he's made us to do. We're supposed to walk from a place of rest. Not from a place of turmoil and strife and, and busyness. It doesn't mean there aren't seasons of busyness. You know, John and Jonah are planning a wedding in January. I'm guessing things are busy. <laughs> you have seasons where you, you need to really get things going and things get busy. But it shouldn't be your whole life. Just because the world says, just because the people in your world say, hey, this is what you should be doing, no, you shouldn't. It doesn't matter. You know what I've worked out? It doesn't matter if I don't mop the floor. The world still turns. Do you know that? It's incredible. You know, I haven't weeded my garden for about a month. Guess what? The world's still spinning. People are still breathing. Things are still happening. God's still moving. Now I can beat myself up and go, gee, I should have done it, you know, really, but you know, it's been too wet to do anything, really. 
you know, you can beat yourself up and go, I should, 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 should. Why? The weeds, yeah, the grass will just grow back again. The weeds will reappear. And yes, we need to take care of the things that are ours, but we need to have that priority of not trying to meet others' expectations. You know, my neighbour hasn't mowed his lawn for about four months. It doesn't worry me, it doesn't worry him. (laughs) You know what I mean? It doesn't change anything. We need to get back to the vision that God has for us. We need to seek after him and and make the priority of seeking him and his plan and his purpose for our life and not get caught in the busyness and the expectations of life. You know, as Dallas has his saying, if it doesn't matter in 20 years, it doesn't matter. If I don't weed my garden for another couple of weeks, it's not going to matter in 20 years. You know, I, my, my auntie died this week. That's why mum and dad are still here, by the way, in case you're wondering. You know, and that's, that's sad. I mean, but I don't look at my auntie's life and go, oh, she had a beautiful garden that she weeded. Or that she always kept her house immaculately tidy. They're not the memories I have of my auntie. You know, there are the time spent there of, you know, I can remember playing playing snooker on her pool table when I was about eight. And her sitting there chatting away, doing, she used to do hobby texting back then. And she'd sit there doing a hobby text, just chatting away as we played a game. It's like, um, hobby text is like, yeah, you have a fabric and have it's like a special fabric paint and they do drawings on this fabric. And they used to make like pillow slips and things like that. And, and I can remember having pillow slips that she made for us at Christmas. And they're the memories I have of her, not what her garden looked like. You see, these things don't really matter. What really matters is that we seek first the kingdom of God, that we have a vision from God for our lives, that we've pushed in and we know what his plan and his purpose is for us. And then we do that. Yeah, you need to you know, look after yourself. You need to take care of what he's given you. But not to the expectation of everybody else. But seek him first. And he adds all these things. And we do things from a point of rest, not from a point of stress. See, rest is just sitting back in him and going, God, what do you have for me to do today? And then stepping out and doing it with him from rest. And you see, when you get to that point of rest, then you can start to govern. Then you can start to do the things he's called you to do. Because where you live and where you are is where you're supposed to govern from. To go into the heavenlies there and govern over that place. And if we're trying to do everything that the world is telling us to do, we don't have that peace and we don't have that rest and so we can't govern. And that's why the church has become weak because it's trying to meet up to the expectations of the world. 
You know, look at... No, that doesn't matter. Put that aside. So I actually want us to just take a minute to just step into the courts of heaven and to let a bit of revelation come. To just roll off the stresses and the strife and the things to be done and the to-dos and to let vision and revelation rise up. Don't worry about how you do it and how you make it happen, whatever it is. Just allow God to refresh your spirit and to bring some revelation and some purpose into your life. Yeah, you might find you're in the wrong job. You might find that your busyness in life has got the wrong priorities. You need to put some things aside. I'm not saying that's always easy, by the way. You know, someone that niggles at you, I've got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. Just let it go. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. Just close your eyes and step into heaven and just download. Plug a socket into Jesus and download what he has for you. Download his rest. Download his vision and purpose. Download all that he has for you. Just see yourself in the throne room. And you know what? Take a seat in the throne room. You're allowed to. You're a co-heir with Jesus and he sits. And ask the Father for revelation. Just to drop just a bit of what he has for you. When you get home, you can spend more time pulling down more, but just ask for a bit of what God has for you. Find his peace and rest. Just stay in that presence with God. Don't feel like you have to rush out. Just ignore the distractions around you. I'm going to pray now, but if you feel like you want to stay in in with God, just stay there. Don't worry about everyone else's expectations. If you've connected with God and you're good, then you can, you know, pull out a little and have your morning tea and stuff, but If you're not ready to leave and you're hanging in his presence and he's speaking to you and he's downloading, just hang out there until he's finished. We've got to learn to cast off expectations. Cast off what is social norms. Because they change all the time, I've worked out. And let vision download. Father, we want to bless you. We bless you that you've given us love, that you've given us rest in you, that you've given us Holy Spirit, that you give us revelation, you guide us, you teach us, that you have a plan and purpose for us. I pray continue to reveal that to each one, Father, that we may walk in your rest, we may fulfill your purpose that you are glorified through our lives. Forgive us where we've tried to meet the expectations of others. Help us to put those aside, to do what you have for us, that you be glorified through our lives. In Jesus' name.
Amen.